Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to today's edition of the Baseball America College Podcast. I'm Teddy Cahill. Joining me, as always, is Joe Healy, and we are here on Selection Monday. It is May 31, Memorial Day. We are excited to have a field of 64 officially from the committee. We are going to talk about the decisions the Selection Committee made today, the the bracket that they have presented to the, the college baseball world uh, after you know not having a tournament for two years. We're, we're just excited that there is a bracket. We're going to get into what it looks like, the decisions they made, the bubble, and also a little bit about conference tournaments from over the weekend. And of course, uh, Louisiana State made a very notable uh, move here as Paul Maneri will retire following this season. So we're going to get into Paul's legacy and what it means for LSU and all the rest of that here on today's edition of the Baseball America College podcast, which is presented by Rapsodo. Rapsodo has become the industry standard in player performance data. Coaches use Rapsodo data as a measuring stick for player development and evaluation. The Rapsodo National Player Database is a free service that allows you to see how you stack up against your peers and provides a pathway to get discovered by scouts. You can check out the Rapsodo National Player Database at rapsodo.com slash national database. All right, Joe, like I said, it's Selection Monday, and uh, that means that there's a new field of 64. We're done talking about our projections, although we did go 63 of 64 for the fourth straight uh, tournament in our projections so i'm sure that'll come up that's pretty dope uh i'm not at all not proud of that uh so joe uh just as as we're 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 rolling through here we've got a field and we're going to address the decisions that went into the field more than the field itself we're going to break down the the bracket in this week's second edition of the Baseball America College podcast. So make sure if you're interested in that, that you are subscribed to the podcast on your favorite podcasting app, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts, subscribe there. We'll be back here later in the week to to really break down regionals and talk about teams that we like to win regionals and et cetera. Uh, But here, Joe, I want to talk more about just the field and conference tournaments and all the rest of it that that went into it over over the last several days since we podcasted here last uh, but let's start with today. Just the fact there's the field. It's been a while since we've had one of these. 
Yeah, no kidding. It's, you know, it's been such a long season. I, you know, I say that, of course it goes fast, but we've had this long season that, that just finished up. And so in some ways it's easy to, we're, we're far enough removed now that I, I appreciated that on the selection show, Matt Schick, friend of the podcast, Matt Schick, gave us a reminder of how many days it had been since Vanderbilt was crowned national champs in 2019. And so that was, uh, I think, a, a good reminder for me, like, wow, we, you know, we're, we're, we're back in this place. And that, that feels really, really good. It's, it's cool to get excited about the bracket again. It's cool to start dreaming on what these matchups will be. It's cool to start dreaming on what Super Regionals would be, what Omaha looked like, all of it. And it, it comes off of a great week of conference tournaments. I thought conference tournament week was exactly what you want it to be to set up regionals to be to be an exciting round. So, um, yeah, the committee gave us a lot to chew on. We, we knew that was going to be the case this year uh, with this just being such a unique year. And, and they certainly uh, – did not, I don't know if did not disappoint is the right way to put it, uh, but certainly there'll be a lot to talk about. But on a baseline, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's great to actually be able to have this podcast. I'm not going to lie. I mean, this this time last year, we were podcasting with Matt Schick and Mike Rooney about not having a bases loaded to get excited about it. And here we are a week away from that being back in our lives. Yeah, actually, on this day last year, Runes did a mock selection show on Instagram Live that I went on. It was... Uh, like it was a thing that only runes could do, I feel like. Uh, but that was that was last year, and this is this year with a, a real tournament, and the games are are, are going to happen here on Friday. Uh, just get back to to postseason college baseball, and that's uh, that's going to just be a, uh, a an absolute ton of fun. Um, the the committee this year comes out with uh, with their tournament bracket, and it's top by Arkansas, your number one national seed. No surprise there. They also top our final regular season or our final top 25 of the regular season, uh, which we uh, released last night. Yeah, that was Sunday night. Uh, and that's the 14th week in a, a row. Arkansas is number one. Joe, I don't know if you saw this uh, in, in, the, in the text on that. I, I, I write in the intro after Joe works on the team. So I, I don't know if you always see this. Did you see how long it's now been, or the, the last time anybody has been number one this many weeks in a row? Uh, I didn't see it actually. Right. I, so I, do you have do you have a guess? The last time a team was number one for at least fourteen straight weeks. So the the way the way you've got that phrase and the fact that it seems notable makes me seem like this is the right answer. But if you'd have just asked, if, if somebody who didn't know and was hoping that I would have the right answer would ask me, my guess would have been UCLA a couple of years ago. Yeah, we're definitely past that. <laughs> yeah, that's what I said. Like, I know that's a wrong answer, but, yeah. you know, um, so lay it on me. All right, 1998 Stanford, oh, wow. number one for the first 15 weeks of the season. How about that? So that's actually an unbreakable – well, it is breakable. It's not breakable for Arkansas, though. The, the only way you can do that now because they reduced the – the, the amount of the, the, the universal start date was created. We only have, I think, 16 or 17 of these top 25s. So that Stanford record is effectively, it's breakable, but, but you would have to wire to wire it pretty much. And Arkansas is going to fall just short of wire to wiring uh, the, this if they are number one at the, uh, at the conclusion. Uh, but that's what they're aiming for now is, is 98 Stanford one more, one more time as, as number one team. And 
I'm sure some Arkansas fans, if they do win the national title, will talk about how well, we were number one for more weeks than Stanford. I'm like, yeah, okay, that's that's not inaccurate, but whatever. Uh, we'll we'll talk about that when we get there. But Arkansas remains number one. They win the SEC title, and then they are number one in the in the committee's field as well. No no surprise there. Joe, there were a few surprises within the top eight seeds. Texas was the number two seed, which. I had walked away from over this week in our projections. I would had it there last week. And I think I said on the podcast that Texas had all but wrapped up the number two seed. And then I like walked them all the way down to number five last night. And I, uh, as good as I have gotten at projecting at large teams, I'm still not very good at the the seeds. And I should have just listened to myself last week. that Texas was the, the likely number two and uh, moved on with that, but they are number two, Tennessee three, Vanderbilt four, Tennessee, of course, making a run to the SEC tournament title game that propels the Vols ahead of the the doors. Uh, And then you got Arizona, TCU, Mississippi State and Texas Tech rounding out your top eight, notably not included Notre Dame. But uh, aside from Notre Dame not being in there, I I didn't really have much of a many thoughts on on the top eight seeds. Yeah, same here. Uh, You know, I, I. I generally have a hard time getting too bit out of shape about where they rank the one through eight. And really I probably should care a little bit more just because I think that's a vestige from the days when it, when it truly outside of some bragging rights stuff. And maybe if you care about where you get slotted in the CWS bracket, if you get that far, there really wasn't a ton at stake when it comes to whether you're number two or number five, because you know, that they weren't seeding nine through 16. So you were just going to get lined up with wherever the committee lined you up typically with someone from your general region. So it really didn't matter. Now it, it does matter a little bit uh, just because you're, you're talking about their seating one through 16. So there is that. Um, but yeah, I, I, I typically am not going to get too banana shape about that. And Notre Dame was the one omission. If it were my personal bracket, I probably would have found a way to get Notre Dame in the top eight. But like I wrote today when I, and I'm jumping ahead a little bit here, but like I wrote today, the committee, kind of time and again showed us what it thought about the ACC and it did not seem to have a high opinion between just two of the 20 original host sites for ACC teams. Uh, you know, now Notre Dame not getting a top eight and certainly it didn't do great on the bubble today. Um, I think those were all just different ways in which the committee showed us what it thought of the ACC. So it, it, it is, you know, for those, even though there are criticisms of not having Notre Dame as a top eight, it is in line with what they've shown us so far this season. It also, the top eight seeds, lined up by RPI. Uh, every top eight seed is a top 10 team. The two teams in the top 10 that weren't top eight seeds are Fairfield, we'll get to them, and Old Dominion. And ODU not being a host, honestly, probably cost them a spot in the top eight. Like, And also just being a mid-major. Like, I, well, I, I will devolve into this as, as we go on. But like, honestly, the whole thing, the whole selection, everything about it is just... RPI, and then what conference are you in? That is the entirety. They can tell. I was on the the conference call with Jeff Altier, the uh, Stetson AD, and the 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 committee chairman this year. You saw him on the selection show briefly in a not very good interview. Uh, not 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 ESPN's fault. Not a good performance from the committee chairman on on national television there. But you know, he talked a lot about you know, how they didn't just go by RPI and how the regional advisory committees were important and X, Y, and Z and like, okay, whatever. However you got to where you got, what you got is 
this bracket, all parts of it line up by RPI, except for a very few exceptions. And every one of those exceptions can basically just be explained away by, well, they like the Big Ten and the Big West. Like that is the sum total of it. Uh, that analysis falls apart a little bit because the ACC did so poorly and it is a power five league. Uh, but again, like it, just so much of this is just RPI and uh, power five status, basically. Yeah, 100%. And, and that's, it's not new this year. It's not exclusive to baseball. It It is what it is. It's not healthy for college sports, but here we are. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's, I think there was a lot of hope. There was a lot of uh, magical thinking, to use a phrase, about this year. Well, because this season is so wonky, the committee is going to have to, and, you know, and you and I indulged that a little bit um, in the off season, in the preseason, maybe even early in the season. But yeah, there were times, even midway through the year, I was still like, yeah, like they'll do X. And then later, late, we, we, we both got to a point where we're like, no, it's not going to be that way. Yeah, I mean, and some of it was just hunches. Some of it also was, frankly, you know, just kind of the, what we'd heard, you know, maybe, you know, off the record, but even in stuff that was on the record, I think I've referenced it before, but hearing Jeff Altier talk about RPI when he talked about the big 10, when he was uh, Evan Bland of the Omaha world Herald wrote an article about the big 10's postseason prospects and RPI was a topic of discussion. And he, you know, was willing to say RPI was still going to be a factor for the big 10. Um, so hearing that, whether you agree with it or not, like suggests that you know, uh, they always like to say RPI is just a tool, but like RPI is just a tool in the way that like a shovel is just a tool for digging a hole, but it's like, okay, if you're not going to use a shovel, what are you going to use? You know, um, you know, so, you know, it just, it does feel like they kind of look at RPI first and then find the outliers. Right. So, um, you know, I'm sure it's a little more complicated than that. I give these people a lot of credit. They do have a tough job. Um, it's not, you know, we, we sit here and get to yell at them. Um, but you know, I think the frustration, at least from my standpoint, I guess I'll only speak for myself. The frustration from my standpoint is that it, it does just seem very reductive uh, that every single year, it seems to follow the RPI formula. And, and, you know, we're just having to, to kind of get used to the idea that it seems like that's just going to be the case as long as that's the primary metric. Uh, The other problem with RPI is that it's the basis for pretty much every other metric that you look at. RPI feeds into strength of schedule. Uh, you know, when you talk about top 50 wins or quad one wins, as they're known in basketball, we don't have that nomenclature in baseball. They aren't that precise about it. It's just top 50 RPI wins. But, you know, it, it determines what teams you're getting credit for beating. Like the only thing that it doesn't feed into is conference record. Uh, but then the way they evaluate your conference is going to be based on RPI. Uh, so it doesn't feed into conference record. It doesn't feed into your road record, which I hear referenced less and less. I still look at it all the time, but I, it, it very rarely comes up anywhere. And yeah, that's, that's about it. Everything else RPI is a, is a big part of, and if they weren't going to adjust it this year in all, of all years, like it's probably just not ever really going to get adjusted for. And here we are. And, you know, maybe, maybe the regional advisory committee standings line up precisely according to what RPI is or, or pretty close to it. And, you know, Jeff Altier did mention in the, the conference call, like, well, you know, Wright State, they're 25 in RPI or whatever it is, they're top 30. 
And we have them as a four seed. So there is an example of a regional advisory committee telling us like, hey, this team isn't as good as RPI says it is. And like, I will say that yes, Wright State was a bunch of computer trickers. They went like one in seven in non-conference games, really good non-conference games, it should be noted, but it was like one in seven. And the committee clearly did not like that this year. And, uh, you know, that's all well and good, but you know what that is, that's just another example of a mid major, mid to low major uh, getting passed over by power conference teams like that's all that is you know you can you can talk about it however you want to talk about it but like that's that's what happened there um so yeah that's uh i i guess that that's my overarching analysis of the field is that it's imperfect this season was imperfect uh but if you just paid attention to rpi you would have been like 95 percent of the way there to to what the committee got and um it's unfortunate that that maybe that's the way it went down because the ACC and other conferences like did not fit from decisions that they are where they are as a result of it. But it, it is, uh, you know, that's, that's just kind of my baseline analysis of, of the whole field. And, uh, you know, knowing that it, starts becoming a little harder to really get upset about things like that doesn't mean I'm not going to get upset about other things, but this is the metric. This is the metric it's been. And this is, this is just where college baseball has been really for at least three to five years now, I would say, and probably longer than that. Yeah. And you know, it's because of that. So here's, here's the funny thing. It's like, it's because of that, because we, we know time and again, like to put a fine point on what you're saying, the top 40 in RPI are all in, in the field. And, yep. you know, so, and those are most of your average. The, the, four, the four that are out, the, the, the next four out, they're all 41 through 50. There are only three teams outside the top 50 that weren't in the, the 68 of, of 64 in and first four out. There are only three teams that weren't top 50. Yeah. So there you go. It's not even just like, Teddy and I sitting here like kind of cherry picking because like the top 30 RPI teams just to pick a random number, like all deserve to be in and are all like fine and locks and all that kind of stuff. So like, but it, so it's not just like we're looking at the top 30 and then it's spotty after that. And we're saying, look at RPI. No, it's like, it's the top 40. And then like everybody who was in the discussion is top 50 or whatever with a couple of exceptions. So, um, so it's kind of because of that, that I'm kind of of two minds of the way conference tournaments work. Like, you know, it's, crazy that Jacksonville went and won the A-Sun tournament after it showed like zero, you know, interest in winning games during the regular season. But on the other hand, you know what, if that's what it takes to get a second A-Sun team in, okay. Um, you know, we can, we had the Fairfield discussion before, we can certainly have it again today, but you know what, if that wonkiness is what it takes to get, you know, a second team in from a small conference like that, okay. You know, like, uh, you know, I, I, I just, if that's what it's going to take to get a little more variety in the field, like, I guess that's just what it's going to have to be. So I can sit here and be disappointed for Pitt. And in a lot of ways I am. Um, but on the other hand, uh, you know, that's another example of a, you know, just kind of a meh major conference team in a meh league this year in the ACC that got left out um, that, you know, had they been in, we kind of would have just, you know, because it's pit, it feels a little bit different, but really that's just kind of your typical, like on the bubble major conference team that if their RPI is there typically gets in. So, um, I'm all for variety. You know, I don't like that. That's just the way we have to establish it is by having these like wonky upsets of the best team in small leagues, because then we get nervous that 
championship team of Liberty, for example, is not going to get in or Campbell. And this year both did, and that was great. Um, but that's, that's really the only way we get that type of variety at this point. The let's set the ACC teams aside for a second, because they're their own kind of special nonsense here, but Joe, the, what, one of the, the, the last team in, I guess, was Alabama, which I had as the last team in like literally all week long. Um, I, I didn't really intend for that to be the case when they became the last team in. I kind of assumed they would be knocked out at some point, but I just kept looking at the resume and looking at the resume and being like, yeah, no, this is, this is going to get in. And they're got in because they're a top 35 team in RPI, number 33. They played the second hardest schedule in the country. And they have a winning record away from Tuscaloosa. If you really want to care about that, they ultimately won um, 14 SEC games. All of that says they're in. Now, when you compare that to the one mid-major team that was accounted for on the bubble, and that's Ball State, team near and dear to my heart, obviously. I mean, it's whatever, but it is where I went to school. Uh, they went 38 games overall. They finished in second place in the MAC, two games behind Central Michigan. They won 20 games away from home. They split at Arizona. They won a series at Kentucky. They played the 14th hardest non-conference schedule. Problem is they played the 159th most difficult schedule overall because the MAC is the MAC. So where, where do you land on that? Like Alabama undoubtedly played one of the absolute hardest schedules in the country. If you want to tell me it was two versus one versus five, whatever, that's fine. It's there. And they played real relatively well against it. The only thing they didn't do, the only metric they have going against them is the fact that they finished under 500 in the SEC. I personally find it really hard to get exercised about the, oh, they went under 500 in their conference. Like I, I okay, whatever, man. Like the conference schedule there is really hard. Like in my ideal tournament, you'd have room for both Ball State and Alabama. But I, I just, I find it really hard to get exercised about LSU and Alabama's inclusion in the field in the way that I'm seeing a lot of people get really worked up about it. Yeah. Like I, yeah, it, I mean, they're, they're pretty standard resumes. Like it would be one thing if these were kind of groundbreaking situations. I mean, they're very borderline resumes. Uh, you know, I would not recommend another team go 13 and 17 in the regular season and lose its first game, which by the way, was won by Georgia, which did not get in. Um, so like, <laughs> that was kind of funny how that worked. I uh, didn't think that and was like, here's the case. thing about Georgia real quickly is that they are just like, they were 41 in RPI as opposed to being top 40 and like Alabama and LSU were like eight plus spots higher than them in RPI. And Georgia only played the 11th hardest schedule in the country. Although I do think it's notable that their non-conference schedule was 136. And I think that hurt them versus um, Alabama, at least LSU's non-conference schedule was similar range, but like, it's uh, it is interesting how that went down within the SEC. Yeah, Alabama got a decent amount of help. They played Wright State, swept them. Those were some of the losses for Wright State you referenced. Um, that ended up actually really helping Alabama. If if they schedule schedule a not good mid or Absolutely. low major team there, like who knows where they're at, you know? Um, so that, I mean, it's on opening weekend. 
and, and we think McNeese is a good team. They just won the Southland, but um, you know, McNeese's RPI isn't good. So like if it had just been another team like McNeese, so like, yeah, okay, good. You got in the tournament and like, it's a good team, but it just didn't have that kind of year. Like, Oh boy. Like it would have been a lot different for Bama. Yeah. So it's just funny how these resumes can tip on a razor's edge because maybe, you know, maybe it doesn't matter, but maybe it does. Maybe their RPI is sitting at 43 right now. And like mm-hmm. they're probably out if it's 43. So, um, you know, I'm with you. I don't get too worked up about them being in because I think at this point I'm just so resigned to like, yeah, those are resumes that get in. They look at conference, like you mentioned, and because of the conference, by the way, they're going to have high strength of schedules. And as long as they don't just schedule kind of uh, all cupcakes in non-conference, like they're not going to get so hurt by that, that it offsets it. In the SEC, you're always going to have tough schedules, at least for the most part. And so these are the types of resumes that get in. Now that said, like I would always prefer the Ball State resume because you know what? That's a team that went out and did something we did not expect it to do. It went out and got those quality wins in the non-conference that we were not expecting them to do. And it showed us that, hey, this is a Ball State team that's above and beyond what we typically get, not just from Ball State, but from the MAC in general. It, it's a team that went out and challenged itself, played some tough schedules, and then did a good job with the schedule it was handed. Whereas Alabama, they didn't really do anything this year. Um, now, obviously, they had some injuries they dealt with, most notably Connor Prelip. And like, okay, they get some credit for kind of persevering through that and not just completely tanking. I get that. And I, I do mean that sincerely. But you look at their resume, and, and they didn't do anything that we didn't expect them to do. I mean, they quite literally, you know, lost the series that against the teams that they were just clearly not as good as. And they mostly took care of business against the teams that were in a similar neighborhood. And the fact that they swept Missouri as opposed to taking two out of three, you know, that kind of thing ends up mattering in the end. Um, but there's just not, there's nothing there from the Alabama resume. I don't mean this to disparage them or the players like congrats on getting in. It's a big deal for this program. That's building its way back up, but there's just nothing here, you know, other than the RPI conference affiliation and, and the like that we talked about at the top. I mean, I have a bigger problem with Campbell over ball state like it's a little easier to compare like versus like there the big south is mid-major league like the mac campbell is getting a lot of credit for eight uh top 50 wins well those are basically all south carolina upstate and liberty on opening weekend in fact that that is the entirety of those eight wins they lost the three games against acc schools that they played like they really didn't challenge themselves non-conference and they get in because Upstate went out and put together a really nice resume that fell just short. But, you know, credit to Upstate for going out. And, like, they're the ones with major conference wins. It's not Campbell. But Campbell's the one that benefits because they beat Upstate. And, like, I'm not here to say that they shouldn't have. And, like, Campbell did win the regular season Big South title. And that should count for something. They went 35 games, have a top 40 RPI. They probably should be in. But, like, compare that resume to Ball State's. I don't think it stacks up. It's just that Liberty and Upstate did the work of beating major conference schools, and then Campbell did the work of beating them and and reaping the rewards, whereas Ball State did the work, uh, and Upstate for that matter, those schools did the work of beating the major conference schools and didn't see the reward for it. And like that, to me, I got a a much bigger problem with that. Like I'm not going to call... Campbell computer trickers, uh, but they 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 were the beneficiary of of some things that like I feel like they didn't do as much as as the teams that you know Upstate has wins against Georgia Tech. They have wins against Clemson. Like they won their ACC games. Upstate didn't do that, or uh, Campbell didn't do that. 
Yeah, it, how, how refreshing is it though that like Campbell basically gets in like thanks to its affiliation as a member of the Big South, you know, just because I mean that so much is what it is. US they happen to play in a league with USC Upstate. And, you know, they, so they, they get those wins and that ends up carrying them through. Whereas if they're members of the South division of the CAA, for example, um, probably doesn't play out that way. And, and we see this from time to time. I've talked about the, the Stetson example, you know, in, in the A-Sun a few years back. Um, so you, you do see teams draft off of each other periodically, but it, it's, it is kind of amazing that the fact that they just happen to be in, a big, in the Big South with another team that had good metrics really opened the door for Campbell Campbell to do it because there are a lot of other similar leagues and frankly, maybe even better leagues than the big South where had they played in that, in that, in that league, they would not have gotten the benefit of the doubt they got. Yeah. And you mentioned the CAA is interesting there because UNC Wilmington doesn't make it. They win the South division of the CAA, which sure looked like the better half. Um, but they get Northeastern walks off with the CAA title, um, hit a home run in the ninth to tie the game, homered in the 10th to win it. And, you know, they get in and honestly, given the everything that we've said on this podcast so far, like I walked, went into Sunday thinking that Northeastern was not going to get in if they didn't beat Wilmington, but they're sitting here at 30 in RPI. It'd be a little worse if they lost to Wilmington on Sunday, but they probably were going to be getting in <laughs> just knowing everything that we know now. Um so they, they probably were going to be getting in, and, and, and then that takes a bit away from somebody else. And theoretically, that would have been Bama. Uh, they were last on the seed line, but, you know, you never know uh, how, how it would have shaken out. Otherwise, I, it, it is it, it, the point here, though, is that the just the way that different conferences crafted their schedules to account for the pandemic this year, it just had so much impact on everything. Northeastern piles up a ton of wins against the – worst teams in the CAA and they pile up a really nice RPI as a result, just like Fairfield did playing conference only games in the MAAC and you, uh, you produce the RPI and there you go. It's just, like I said, imperfect year, no way. Like I sat there on Saturday night when the bubble was mostly the bubble. Like there were, there were just weren't going to be that many games on Sunday that were affecting the bubble. And I just, I, I went through, there were, you can read it on baseballamerica.com if you want to look back at it uh i thought there were nine teams in the mix for three spots and you know just going over and over it and over it like how do you fit this all together and ultimately i was wrong um there were more like 11 teams for those spots because i didn't include Pitt or unc in that discussion i just assumed that they were both in and obviously Pitt was wrong and uh, UNC uh, was closer to the bubble than I, I was giving it credit for, although my analysis would have been UNC in. So I guess at that point, you're talking about 11 spot, eleven teams for, for four spots. I still would have had UNC in. They fit the Alabama and LSU mold thanks to their, uh, their gaudy strength of schedule. I, I truly think that's why UNC's in. Um, but the point is I, I just sat there and I was going through these resumes over and over and over. And like, you can make a case for any of them. You can make a case against any of them. That's the definition of bubble teams. But you know, just knowing how hard it was for me to work through all of these cases, like I, and I, I'm just trying to like make a projection. I'm not the one that's making the final call. That's like changing the, the direction of, of careers and, programs and all the rest of it like i it, it is a really hard job that the committee faces and this year 
it was basically an impossible task. And they could have made it easier on themselves if they had, you know, come out and, uh, you know, worked through some of the RPI changes or really explicitly spelled out what it would mean for conferences not to be playing non-conference games this year and all the rest of that. But, you know, re regardless of whether they could have helped themselves a little bit or not, it was always going to be a very challenging uh, year to try and make selections. And I think that's what we saw play out today. Well, at least we mostly, you know, I would say most conferences played mostly some version of a normal schedule. Um, so at least it wasn't, you know, some of the apocalyptic scheduling scenarios, like, you know, if they had just treated the bracket normally, which they did this year, um, and we thought was going to be the case, but, you know, at least we like, were maybe like 75% of the way towards something looking normal. And it certainly could have been a lot worse and we could have ended up with something way wonkier if they had failed to failed to adjust. So, um, you know, certainly, certainly could have been looking at something very different today. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Um, that's enough about uh, selections, I think, Joe. Um, I could rant about Fairfield versus Jackson State again. But you know what, if you if you want that, just go listen to last Thursday's podcast. I, I went into it, into it probably as good as I can possibly go into it uh, at that time. I, I So Joe, unless you've got anything more about the selections, I'm uh, think we can get onto some of this conference tournament action. Yeah, let's move on. All right. Well, we're going to talk about the SEC tournament, the CUSA tournament, I don't know, maybe some ACC tournament, Southland. I don't know. There, Joe is at the Missouri Valley. We got a lot to talk about in terms of conference tournaments. Uh, so we'll get to all of that here in a second. But first, check this out. All right, Joe, conference tournaments, they were fun. Uh, I had so much fun watching all of them. Uh, it was it was just a, a great week of baseball. I guess let's start with the SEC. I, I mentioned that Arkansas won it. That's the first time Arkansas has won the SEC tournament. Do you happen to know when the last time they won a conference tournament was? I, I'll let you know that it was the, I mean, you know this, it, it, was, it was the Southwest Conference, the old Southwest Conference. Poor one out for, for that. Uh, but Joe, do, do you know what year Arkansas happened to win the Southwest Conference title? Uh, I don't know. I will say 1992. 1985. Oh, how about that? So Arkansas had one conference tournament title in its in program history, which was uh, kind of like I, I until a few weeks ago, I that was totally off my radar that Arkansas had never won the SEC tournament and that it had been that long since they won any kind of conference tournament. So uh, shouts to Arkansas. They just they just kept rolling. They did it the way you would expect them to do it. Kevin Copps pitched some significant innings against Tennessee in the championship game. He pitched significant innings against Vanderbilt in the winner's bracket game on Thursday. That was in many ways the highlight of the, or supposed to be the highlight of the tournament was Arkansas playing Vanderbilt. It was going to be Rocker. It was Rocker and Wicklander. It just didn't quite live up to it because uh, Rocker and Wicklander were both out in the fourth inning. Um, partially their own doing, neither one had great control. Partially, I mean, some people might say that is related to the umpire strike zone. Uh, but also just because they were watching their pitch counts very carefully. I, I think both of them would have worked longer if uh, if it had not been the week before regionals. Uh, but it, it, it was just kind of uh, what we come to expect from Arkansas all week long, and they, they rolled a four wins. Yeah, and, you know, it's uh, – I think in just another – I mean, what else can you say about Arkansas at this point? The, the fact that it had really absolutely nothing to play for. And we talked about this going into the tournament that 
even the teams that don't have anything to play for, you know, you, you want to get out there and you want to give a good effort. You don't want to just, you know, roll it over, but like, you also kind of expect that, okay, you know, they're going to hold, they're going to pull some punches They're you know, they're, they're, they're not going to, to really push the, the, the gas pedal because what do they have to play for? And they go out there and sweep the SEC tournament. Um, you know, it's just like another feather in their cap in a season, a season full of them. And, and I think it was also a, a big week for Tennessee. I, I talked about in a previous podcast, how they, they're one of the teams that it's struck me as, probably being important for that team to try to go out and win a tournament title because we've, as we've talked about before this season, that, that's a team that's kind of learning how to win big time games. And unfortunately it kind of keeps coming up short in, in those series, you know, the Arkansas and Vanderbilt are now in the SEC tournament final against Arkansas. And so, you know, it can't quite get over that hump, but I mean, outside of those little hiccups, like Tennessee has clearly at this point, and we said this a lot, has clearly at this point established themselves as a team that, you know, we'll probably be a little bit disappointed to not get to Omaha. And that, that's an incredible job that Tony Vitello and his staff have done to, to get that turned around. I don't, I think it kind of gets a little bit lost that this is a team that sure got to regionals a couple of years ago, but it's been a long, it's been since 2005 that this team has been this relevant, this good um, and, and expected to do big things in the way it is. And getting to a tournament final is, is, is a big deal for that program as well, even if it couldn't quite finish the job. Yeah, I, absolutely. You know, they, uh, that, that's another program that, you know, doesn't have a whole lot of history of at least recent history in terms of winning the SEC tournament or being in the mix for it. And they played really well. Um, you know, they did lose to Bama on Wednesday. That feels like forever ago. It probably was, I mean, it's a week ago almost. Uh, they, they lost to Bama on, on Wednesday and a game that was obviously clearly critical for, for Alabama's tournament hopes. Um, but other than that, the Vols played really well, and you know they uh, shut out Florida in the semifinals. Played with Arkansas until late against uh, you know on, on Sunday. Blake Tidwell pitched really well. I mean, they just they did their thing too. Uh, just clearly a, a team that that's uh, that's in stride going into the tournament, and uh, very excited to see about where where that goes for them. On the flip side, Joe, uh, I, we should also say Ole Miss and Florida both acquitted themselves well this week in Hoover, um, making the semifinals. You know who didn't, though, is Mississippi State. They got run-ruled twice. Two and Q run-ruled, didn't even play 18 innings in Hoover. Ultimately didn't matter. They got the number seven seed uh, in, the, uh, in, in, the, in the NCAA tournament. But, you know, I don't know what to think of the Bulldogs going into into the tournament now they the last three weeks two run rules in, in Hoover and you know I'm sure everyone in Starkville uh, well not everyone I know some of their fans were very much not happy about what happened there but a lot of people in Starkville would probably say like ah who cares it's the SEC tournament we didn't need to show up like look we got the seven seed anyway so what did we have to play for and like okay fair but uh, are you going to be able to restart it uh, but anyway that happened they did sweep Bama uh, the week before, but if you wind it to another week, they lost at home to Mizzou. Like I genuinely don't know what to make of the dogs going into, uh, into regions. Yeah. Same here. You know, they have this, this kind of bad habit, I would say of, of not seemingly, I should say, seemingly not playing very well when the stakes aren't particularly high, you know, and the good teams are the ones that you don't have to really, uh, throttle back up to play, you know, Arkansas is a great example of that. Like they just haven't had any off weeks. They haven't had any weeks, even, you know, even Vanderbilt has had weeks where it just feels like they're just not, not sharp. Arkansas has had none of those. That's why they're number one and why they are where they are. And, and Mississippi state 
you know, they, they go into that series against Missouri and, you know, Missouri at this point is like out of the SEC tournament race based effectively, not a lot to play for there. Mississippi state had, had just basically gotten to the point where we were all talking about how they, you know, they're coming off a, a series win against South Carolina. It was, you know, pretty big road series there. And, you know, we were just starting to talk about them as like having sewn up all of the big picture things that they needed to sew up. And, and then they go in a, in a weird series. It started on Thursday. You know, those Thursday series can sometimes be a little wonky too. And they, and they lose that series to Missouri. They, they get back on track by sweeping Alabama. But again, they go into the SEC tournament and we feel pretty good about them as a, as, as probably a top eight. And they just turn into just an awful performance. And so I guess the argument to why this is okay is that, well, okay, I mean, so regionals are coming up and clearly they're not going to be able to just kind of sleepwalk through that. So that tends to bode well. But on the other hand, you're now a long time removed from what it feels like their best baseball was, frankly, uh, you know, the sweep against Alabama, notwithstanding, it's just been a long time since we've seen a consistent version of Mississippi state uh, it's in there, but you know, how much can we expect it, it to be there after what we saw last week? Because it just was an absolutely brutal week. There's no other way to put it, frankly. Yeah, I'm I'm concerned about them. They're matched up against the Oma Irish, and I know I said we weren't going to talk about projections here or anything, but like I just I'm going to say right now, I'm riding with the Oma Irish. Like I'm not riding with Mississippi State, so um, I'm sure that'll thrill everyone in Starkville. But like I'm not, I don't know how viable it is to go into to the new dude and win a super regional. Like I was there in 19. It, it it's not going to be easy to do, but like I. At this point, I just don't know that you can trust them to put together the five wins over the next two weeks that they're going to need. I, I don't know if I can trust them to be that consistent. Being at home is going to be really significant for them. It's still a really good baseball team, but I uh, I, I would not be thrilled with the way they're going into it. And, and it's always interesting when you see a coach, coaching staff that just clearly doesn't care about the, uh, the conference tournaments, and I would – I haven't talked with Chris Lamonis about it, but his record as a head coach in conference tournaments is six and 12. He comes from the Dan McDonald coaching tree. I don't have max coaching uh, max record uh, in the ACC tournament in front of me, but I know it's not good or the big East tournament. Uh, I, I don't have max conference tournament record in front of me. Basically. I know it's not very good though. Uh, certainly not. So since they got into the ACC and it stopped mattering quite as much, like if you rewind it to the front of his career, it was probably better. Um, but I would, it, it just seems like they don't care that much. And, you know, I, there are positives and negatives to that, but I, uh, right now I'm feeling a little more negative about Mississippi state than I was a month ago. A well, lot more negative, I should say. The positive is, I mean, you mentioned there, there are positives and negatives. And the positive is, is fairly clear. This is an extreme example. Getting run ruled twice is kind of an extreme example of this. But I think they probably would have liked to have won a game. Certainly, it goes without saying. But, you know, the, the positive is that the, these tournaments are taxing. You know, and you have to decide how much, like we talked about with Arkansas, how much do you really want to push for this? Especially if you lose, if you're in the double elimination portion and you lose an initial game. So now you're talking about having to play extra games to get, to get back on, on schedule, if you will. So, uh, you know, I, so I understand the, um, you know, wanting to kind of be a little bit careful with conference tournaments. And, and that's, of course, we're making an assumption about what the motivations are here. Um, but so it, the positives are understandable, but man, they are this, this year, Mississippi state really tested the bounds of, of what is an acceptable performance. If that's truly what they're, they're looking to do to kind of take it easy and Hoover. Yeah, absolutely. That that's uh, 
That's certainly a, a, a good point and, and worth remembering as well. Um, let's uh, switch gears to the ACC tournament. And Joe, I frankly watched none of this until Sunday because for some reason I was blacked out of the uh, <laughs> the pool play. I have no idea what happened there, but whatever. Uh, what I do know, though, is that Duke won its first ACC tournament title ever. It had not won an ACC title since 1961, just before they created the ACC tournament. The ACC tournament, actually incredibly old, I learned yesterday. Joe, trivia time, first ACC tournament was when? Uh, 1955. Joe, I just said they won in 61, and that was prior to the creation of the ACC tournament. Oh, I wasn't, I wasn't listening very well. <laughs> We're gonna leave. We're gonna leave that in because that's actually a very, like, a very good distillation of like sometimes what happens when uh, I stop talking and I start clicking around on my laptop while you're doing a lead-in. <laughs> so the the ACC tournament began in 1973 and they played it for like six straight years and then in 1979 they were like, ah, finals is kind of in the way this year for a bunch of teams. Like, we're not gonna play it this year. And then the next year they brought it back. College baseball in the 60s and 70s is a wild thing. Like. If you ever go back into the archives, like it's it's crazy what happened like prior to 1990 in the sport. But like, yeah, if you I mean, if you if, if you get frustrated that like it sometimes seems like college baseball, like just kind of gets left to its own devices and can sometimes feel like pretty loosely organized. Like, yeah, you should get a load of some of the history of college baseball because it's 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 I was talking to somebody in the press box, the, the Missouri Valley Tournament this week you know, who, um, well, I'll shout about Shane Dennis, uh, 1994 Missouri Valley Conference player of the year for Wichita State. Like he was talking about Wichita State, you know, back in the day would play like 90 games in a year, you know, like, yeah. and, that's, and a bunch of them were against like JC teams. Right. And they would play them in Wichita <laughs> in February, you know, like it wasn't even, you know, Arizona State and Hawaii did that too, but like at least the weather's warm, but like, anyway, yes. So college baseball, just a wild time, not that long ago, truthfully. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So Duke goes out and they win their first ACC title uh, in a, a side of a long time, uh, 50 years and 60 years. I can do math. And they, uh, they they do it by beating NC State one to nothing. Not the kind of conference title game you expect to see, but in the ACC, because they do pool play, it was just the fourth game of the week for both teams. Uh, so they were both clearly in a decent spot pitching wise. Duke is in such a good pitching spot after that, that uh, Chris Pollard said they're going to have to get guys sim games on Tuesday just to make sure that everyone has gone and, and pitched within the last couple of weeks going into regionals. Uh, that's how well Duke, how efficiently Duke pitched this week in Charlotte. Uh, it was an incredible performance. I thought by Duke all week long, they, they not only do they shut out, NC State on Sunday, they uh, they really they gave up five runs all week. Um, again, just four games, but but they gave up five runs. Uh, just a, a fantastic showing by the Blue Devils, who go into the NCAA tournament on a twelve game winning streak. This is a team that we liked coming into the year. Hit some hard times early, never really seemed to get it going, and I think a lot of people, myself probably included, for being totally honest like just kind of left for dead at the end of April. But since then they've, uh, they've gotten really hot here and they're going to go into the tournament as a two seed. And and they're frankly very dangerous when you look at what the pitching staff can do. The fact that they have an older lineup, they're a decent fielding team. I mean, all the things that we liked about Duke coming into the year, 
are generally pretty much true. Um, you know, a few things are a little different, like Jack Carey has been the ace instead of Cooper Stinson. And, uh, you know, a, a couple different hitters maybe are playing better than we had anticipated. It's different guys, but it's the same general formula that we expected from Duke coming into this year when we ranked them as uh, as a top 15 team or whatever it was, top 20. It was somewhere in there. I don't, whatever. <laughs> what, what a what a flex by uh, Chris Pollard to go, yeah, we're just, we're going to have to do some sim games this week, guys. Like, you know, we just. It was, it was incredible pitch, when I saw that. <laughs> our pitching is in too good a shape right now. We just, we got to get some work in while everyone, like while everyone else is pitching in other conferences, like, you know, they're, they're going to the, the poor kid who hasn't pitched since like March 15th to try to get them some quality innings in a championship game, you know? Um, yeah. The ACC is a weird deal where there are a lot of criticisms of ACC's pool play, most of which are valid. Um, you saw in that final though, that the benefit of it for the teams that get to the end, because it was a well-played final, frankly. Um, but what's what I, another one of the things that doesn't get talked about as much in terms of the format is setting aside the blackout things and it, it blackout things. And it was kind of a weird deal where the games are on ESPN plus, but like the, the graphics were Bally sports, which is the, 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 the rebrand of what we knew as the regional Fox sports networks. So I'm not really sure exactly what goes on there, but that probably had something to do with why you were blacked out because you're in the triangle area. I, and I saw that happen once before, like Georgia tech that happened to like at some point during the year. And I was confused at the time and like, yeah, you're probably right. That's probably what happened here. So we, this weird little like legal legalistic carriage issue there, probably based on it being carried by Valley or, so, you know, whatever. Anyway. Um, yeah. Duke interesting team. Like it kind of, with the exception of winning the ACC tournament, which is obviously great accomplishment that's part of it like kind of does have a similar resume to what we talked about with Alabama it's not like you know they, they basically got back in position because they swept Virginia Tech and Clemson two teams that were absolutely cratering at the end of the season and that's what really got them back in position you know the resume is really kind of you know with the exception of it, it, it and you know Pitt is obviously out of the field but you know it, it was the only team early on to really get Pitt um, so it had that, but otherwise like the series wins aren't going to blow you away, but the team I think is good. And it's shown, I saw them against Georgia tech and it feels like every across the board, they've shown quite a bit of development and improvement through the years, because I looked at the stat sheet the other day and was kind of blown away by some of, of what I saw, you know, the, um, you know, a guy like Chris Crabtree was really not swinging it too well when I saw him and, and he's really come around and they've gotten everything they could have asked for out of Peter Matt, you know, the, the grad transfer um, from Penn, um, you know, RJ Shrek has had a big year breaking out. Like the offense actually has had a, had a level of physicality to it that I didn't really anticipate. And, you know, the pitching I think has been fairly steady all year. I just think it took us a while to, to your point about it being Jack Carey, for example, leading the way instead of Cooper Stinson, like it is disappointing that Cooper Stinson did not take a big step forward and become like that bona fide all ACC type of ace. Um, but the pitching has been pretty steady all year. I just think it took us adjusting to like, okay, well, maybe this, maybe this pitching staff isn't going to put up these big time numbers, but it's, it's still a pretty good staff and the stuff is good. And, and obviously they're, they're playing their base baseball at the right time. I'm with you. Like it's, it's a pretty, pretty dangerous team. And, and one that, you know, we didn't talk much about for the reasons, for the reasons you laid out, but I, I think it, it too is also true that it's a beneficiary of doing kind of what Alabama did, which is just, Hey, got out at the right time and won all the games it was really supposed to win and didn't really go on any sort of like extended horrible losing streak. And, and they, they, you know, play their best tournament in the ACC tournament and our best baseball in the ACC tournament. And now we're going to see the, you know, the fruits of that as a two seed. 
it, it should be noted too that uh, Duke they lost their pitching coach like a week before the tournament or the season started. Two weeks before the season started, Dusty Blake gets hired away by the Cardinals to be their major league pitching strategist. Um, not entirely sure what that means in terms of his day-to-day responsibilities, but uh, credit to what clearly what, what, what kind of respect they had, um, you know, for him. Uh, but that does mean that the Duke was having to, to scramble a little bit. They, you know, stayed within the, the coaching staff for the, the job of pitching coach, but it's still, it's a change. And, you know, they did a, a good job adjusting to that and, and they've done a good job working through it. And, and they clearly have good, good arms to, to pick from there. But I, that, that is another part of this Duke story that, um, you know, probably just helps explain a little bit why it might've taken a little while for, for things to, to really lock into place uh, for the Blue Devils. So going to be interested to see how they, how they do last two tournaments. Of course, they have won regionals. So you know, look out, they, uh, they're playing hot and it's a, a program that didn't used to have any sort of, you know, NCAA tournament DNA in it, but now has, uh, there, there are a lot of players there that have experience and, and that know what it takes to win a regional. So I, I think Duke is a, a, a dangerous two seed here. All right, let's, uh, let's flip over here to the conference USA tournament, which, uh, Joe, I found to be one of the most fun of the week. Um, it was on late, which helped. Like I could finish watching whatever it was I was watching tonight and then flip over to Conference USA after dark and pick whatever Southern Miss or La Tech game was playing in the middle of the night. Um, Old Dominion, though, comes through. They win the tournament. They sweep through it. It should be noted that they had a slightly easier path. Um, they didn't have to they, – they were – their half of the bracket um, – they were Charlotte was supposed to be the the other you know good team on that half of the bracket and because of some upsets ODU never saw Charlotte Charlotte went two and Q and um, that maybe made it a little bit easier for ODU but still they sweep through the tournament they win a, uh, a conference USA tournament title for the first time ever uh, last time they won a tournament title they were in the CAA and uh, it was it was quite some time ago. Um, they played really well, but for me, the the most fun thing about that tournament was the Southern Miss and Louisiana Tech games. Uh, just some fantastic baseball being played between two teams that have become very familiar with each other over the course of this season, and uh, just absolute uh, classic showings. I, I felt like they're going to they're going to remember those games in, in Hattiesburg and Ruston for, for for a long time, and I I really enjoyed watching them just back and forth teams throwing haymakers after haymakers and, you know, literally getting into it with each other too. Uh, it was, uh, it, it was, a uh, it was a lot of fun to watch those teams go at it this last week. I thought it was a, a deserving send off for conference USA. I was a little worried that because those teams, with the exception of Southern Miss, those teams that are the, the good teams in CUSA are offensive teams. And you'll, you can even throw FAU in that mix, you know, kind of the fifth team in that, in that group. Those are offensive teams. And I was a little worried that it would become theater of the absurd after the first or second day, you know, pitching staffs running a little bit thin. And there were some high scoring games, 11-10 La Tech over Southern Miss. But even that game, it didn't feel like, oh, these pitching staffs are just taxed. You know, it just felt like offenses that were trading blows. But then they come back with a pretty well-pitched game after that, you know. 
Um, so it actually felt like really quality baseball through the, re- the weekend, which I thought was, like I said, a deserving way to kind of send the Conference USA season out because the league was so good this year. And it was clear that it was not just smoke and mirrors. Like these teams are good. I think, you know, um, Old Dominion going to South Carolina being a one seed is, is interesting. And, and, you know, LaTeX and Southern Miss, I think, are, are poised to play well in, in regionals. I'm, I'm less sure of what to think about Charlotte, but they've obviously had an incredible season. And so I think it was a great capper on a, on a great season. And I was really happy to see that the quality of baseball seemed to live up to the quality of the season they had. And, and I, I'm with you. I spent, you know, I get home from the Missouri Valley games and I could always count on that being on. Unfortunately, this year, because fewer conferences are playing tournaments, you know, the Big Ten notably, but also, you know, the, the Mountain West, for example, typically has a tournament that has games that are going later at night. WCC. WCC. So it felt like there wasn't, there just wasn't a lot on after hours, especially until we got to the weekend and like the Pac-12 and, and Big West series started. There just wasn't, there wasn't a lot going on after hours the way there normally is conference tournament week. So the fact that CUSA was, was, uh, was there for us, you know, just like, uh, you know, the, just like a, a Taco Bell drive-through is there for you when you're, you've had a long night out. The CUSA tournament was there for us at the end of the night as we were, you know, you were working on Field of 64 projections and I was working on writing something from Missouri Valley or, or whatever else, uh, job profiles, all that kind of stuff we've been doing. Uh, it, was, it was a nice companion for sure. Now, you know, games ending at, you know, three in the morning was a little much. Uh, you know, I don't think either of us were... <laughs> I was not up for that that Hunter Stanley performance. No, that, nor nor um, I. Was, was that Wednesday night or early Thursday morning? I guess technically. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Exactly. So you didn't make it for that. Now, that seems like a little. That was a little extreme. We see a conference USA, but that was a little extreme. Um, but yeah, just I think it was probably the, the most fun conference tournament we had this past week, just because of the combination of of quality in the in the dramatic games. Yeah. And uh, also shouts to Rustin. I mean, I've written about it before, talked about it, um, but just the way that that community and that program have rallied after the tornado ripped through town a couple of years ago, damaged uh, JC Love Field, aka the Love Shack, the, the way that they've come back from that, built a new uh, stadium on on that site that looks awesome they the fans were really into it um just what they've been able to do to get to this point from uh from there i think is uh is pretty pretty remarkable pretty great to see and and just uh that that added another fun layer to it uh this weekend and you know i'm all for you know neutral site conference tournaments like i think that that's probably the way to go for the most part at least especially when we're talking you know, ACC, SEC, Big 12. I've previously been pretty critical of the ACC for playing uh, the the tournament in Duke's home park. Um, you know, I know it's not quite the same thing, but like it's still Duke's home park. They didn't play it there this year though. Uh, but I to, to see Conference USA in Ruston, I thought was, uh, was very special this year. All right, Joe, you mentioned you were at the Missouri Valley tournament. DBU wins that. Uh, that had a, some some fun games, some fun moments. They played Indiana State really tight there in the in the title game, especially. Um, they had dudes jumping out of the stadium. Uh, Jeremy Guerrero did his thing. It, just uh, an interesting week there to be had in Carbondale. So, what what do you got from the from the MVC? Yeah, really really fun week in in um, in the MVC in Carbondale. Um, 
you know, first off, like, and I don't just say this because I spent the week kind of like talking to them and getting to know them. Like this is, this is true generally. And the coaches say the same thing that the Missouri Valley does a good job with baseball. And there's a reason why, I mean, it's the teams first and foremost, but there's a reason why the Valley's in a position to be a two bid league and gets three sometimes because the, they do a pretty good job of like putting together a quality product on the field and they really care about baseball. And so they do a good job of, yeah, okay, we're playing it at a campus site and the field in Carbondale is, is it's a very nice facility, but it's, you know, it's a mid-major facility, you know, but they do a pretty good job of making it feel big time. Um, so I, I enjoyed my time there, but I think there's a lot you can draw from it. DBU, I think they got a good push from Indiana state, which yesterday, which I was yesterday being Sunday, I was happy to see um, something. It's an Indiana state team with a lot of fight. And I think it's a, it's a good team, but DBU was just the eye test would tell you far and away the best team there. Uh, the physicality of their lineup is, is incredible. Uh, that's, always the case with DBU, but it, it really runs pretty deep this year. You know, there, there's not one guy who's having just like this mammoth season. Jackson Glenn was the NBC player of the year, but his numbers are excellent, but they're not, you know, far and away better than anybody else in the lineup. And it feels like they're pitching, which has been more of a, a question mark. And certainly the depth isn't quite there. And I think we saw that when they got to the, they played one fewer game than Indiana state going into the final on Sunday. And, Indiana State really pitched them to a stalemate through a lot of that game. So the pitching depth at DBU, I think, is still something you'll have to watch for. But in terms of the rotation, you know, with 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 Don Ham, uh, Dom Hamill and, and Rhett Koba and Luke Eldred, who's coming back from Tommy John but looked really good in, in his start over the weekend, I think is going to make them a pretty dangerous out. And they're going to Fort Worth, which they're, that's a place they're comfortable playing. Uh, they probably would rather go somewhere else just because they go there all the time. But um, that, I think that's so I think that's a comfortable matchup for them. And well, I mean, you say that, but like the choices reasonably are Lubbock or Austin. Like maybe they could have gotten themselves sent to Ruston this year, but like given those choices, like eh, I'll take Fort Worth. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and I think it's just one of those things that you know because I I heard that you know from at least one DBU person over the weekend is like, ah, just, you know, Fort Worth, we go there all the time. But like from a competitive standpoint, you're right. You know, I think, but I think they just say that because, you know, you want the variety, I think. Sure. You know, that makes sense. Um, yeah. So Indiana state solid team. And, and look, I mean, Jeremy Guerrero, I would love, and it's not going to work out that way, but man, I would, I would love for Jeremy Guerrero to throw against Vanderbilt, you know, um, their number two Indiana States is not whoever that number two is. And it's not hundred percent clear, which is, you know, part of the issue is not strong enough to where they'd feel comfortable waiting on that. But he, he, the matchup of him versus Vanderbilt would be fascinating. And I wrote about Jeremy Guerrero while I was there. It's just like the epitome of mixing and matching, throwing a butt, throwing the kitchen sink at hitters, um, locating just beyond belief. And it, he's ridden it to being the best pitcher in the Missouri Valley conference. So um I think, it, you know, again, talk about comfortable matchups. They're going to, they're going to Nashville. They played well there in 2019. It's a different team. Uh, I have been less enthused about this team as I was the 2019 team all along, but, but we'll see. So the other story to come out of the Valley was that Southern Illinois had kind of snuck onto the bubble. They were obviously not an egregious team that missed their RPI was like 80. Like that's just not going to do it in any year. Um, but won 40 games first time since 1990, they've won that much, that many, uh, the real work with SIU starts now. That's a really veteran team. A lot of seniors on that team. Um, so I think, you know, Lance Rhodes, him, him proving that he's going to turn SIU into a, a, a um, um, 
year after year contender in the NBC starts now because there's going to be a lot of rebuilding on that roster. And it's one thing to do it with a veteran team, a lot of which he inherited and that he supplemented through transfers um, and, and new faces is one thing, uh, you know, being able to kind of reboot that and be able to be a contender year after year is another thing altogether. And so that, that work starts now for SIU, but they were the, you know, they were a nice other story that, that kind of snuck on the radar because they, they, you know, sometimes 40 wins can be a, a magic number to the committee and they have some quality wins, um, you know, throughout the year. So they were kind of a, a nice little sneaky story there, but ultimately just came up a little bit short. And, you know, there's little storylines here and there we can get into in the off season when it comes to the Valley, but it was, I really appreciated getting a good look at DBU because it's a team that, you know, frankly, I, had been a little bit down on this year because it took them a long time to get going. It felt like, uh, but now that they're going, I really like the team and I think it's got a shot to, to play really well this weekend. You don't want to deep dive Valpo. Look, hang on. That's look. <laughs> I'm not saying Valpo is going to like, you know, go out and be DBU two years from now, but like that is a painfully young team. Like their entire position player core, essentially a couple key guys are upperclassmen but basically their entire starting lineup are freshmen and sophomores. Like if they can get a couple arms in there, like, you know, Valpo, it's taken a while for Valpo to get up to speed in the MVC, but I just, I don't think I'll put it this way. I don't think Valpo is going to be a doormat come next year and come 2023. Now rebuilding after that, we'll have to see, but they've kind of been, you know, I hate to, to put it so bluntly, but they've kind of been a doormat since they've been in the MVC. They were a little more competitive this year. And I think the next two years, that team is, um, got a chance to be more than just competitive in the NBC. I'm, I'm kind of excited to see it. You heard it here first. Um, all right, Joe, I don't have a whole lot about the Big 12. TCU beat Oklahoma State to win a title. Kansas State played pretty well. Texas Tech didn't. Kind of generally what we come to see in Oklahoma City for the most part. What I do want to talk about, though, is the Southland, uh, a place that is near and dear to your heart. Um, and in that title game, uh, McNeese State defeated Sam Houston State two to one. Uh, surprising pitchers duel to uh, to win the Southland, but a really great story for McNeese. This is a program and a university and a city in Lake Charles, Louisiana, that have just been through an incredible amount this year. There were, I mean, you start with COVID. And then you throw in two hurricanes, Hurricane Laura last, uh, last August, 150 mile an hour winds coming through there, did a lot of damage to the McNeese campus and to Joe Miller ballpark. Uh, one of the hardest hurricanes to hit the U.S. in like recorded history. Uh, so that happened in August, six weeks later, Hurricane Delta hit almost exactly the same place in Louisiana. It was not as powerful but it definitely brought more damage and hampered recovery efforts. Then, you know, the, the winter storm that ripped across the, the South just before opening day, that hits them as well. They didn't get to practice for a week leading up to opening day. And all they had to do was go to Alabama. Uh, so that didn't go well and they got swept. And then I didn't, I don't think this really made national news, uh, but they got some significant flooding in like Charles two, just two weeks ago. Uh, they, they dumped like a, a foot of rain on Lake Charles and there was more flooding and, you know, the, again, it, it's just more on top of recovery efforts that are still ongoing. Uh, the, the city and again, the programs it didn't need 
And through it all, the Cowboys have been really resilient. There's been a lot of other stuff that happened in there too. Justin Hill missed a weekend due to COVID. He's their head coach. And um, just a bunch of little things, like they had to play back-to-back double headers one weekend and just, you know, just kind of things that happen throughout the season. But when you you throw that on top of like the natural disasters that they've been dealing with, uh, just they had to be a, a really resilient program all year long. And they were. And they they go out and they play really well this week in the Southland tournament and they win it second street uh, Southland tournament that they've won. They're going back to regionals. They're there in 19 going to, to Nashville and now they're they're back in regionals. And I just thought that was one of the best stories, um, you know, coming out of, of conference tournament week. Yeah, totally agree. Um, it's also all, all of the above was true. Um, it's also just. <laughs> kind of nice because they, they were they were one of those teams that we had highlighted early on of like look here's a here's a smaller conference team that has everybody back and who has a history of success and you know who could be that could be that type of team that hey you don't want them to pop up in your regional or maybe they're good enough to be an at-large team and so many of those just didn't really work out you know Texas State uh, Illinois State which I wrote about at the Valley Tournament that was a, a group that um, a lot of reasons for it happening, but a, a lot of a group that just never really reached its potential this year. And McNeese State kind of was one of those, right? I mean, they they just kind of were up and down and, and just mediocre in general, and it just looked like it wasn't going to happen. And they they came together and, and obviously got it done this week. And so it's it's going to be cool for all the reasons you stated, and just for baseball reasons to see that that veteran a team get that type of opportunity again. Because for so long this season, it looked like man, you know, none of none of these teams we kind of highlighted as, as being able to take advantage of being old, we're, we're really going to end up making, making good on that. And McNeese is going to get that opportunity. They also were just a legitimately good team. Will Dion Southland pitcher of the year, their ACE, um, you know, he, uh, he's been great all season long. Clayton Raspberry is their leading hitter and he's a pretty dynamic player on the field. And then also he has this outrageous beard, that Justin Hill told me to enjoy while you can because it's getting shaved off this this summer because he's getting married and his fiance has already said that the beard's got to go for the wedding photos. Uh, and they, they've got some other really good players throughout there, guys that have just played a ton of college baseball. You know, to your point, Joe, they're, they're a very old team. They have seven regulars in their lineup that are either fourth or fifth year players in college baseball. So uh, they're going to Fort Worth. I don't think TCU is going to be thrilled to see them there. And uh, you know, cause they're going to have to contend with Will Dion on, uh, on Friday. And it's, uh, it's a team that, that knows what they're doing and I'm, I'm going to be interested to see how, how they go. And, you know, also it's, it's just, uh, a, a program that, that I feel like is hot right now, you know, coming out of the Southland tournament and has shown that they can win in a couple different ways. They can pitch, they can swing the bats that, that it's, a uh, it's a dangerous team. All right. I think, Joe, those were the highlights of conference tournaments for me. Um, you know, Presbyterian winning the Big South was cool. That's their, their first one ever. Uh, a weird thing happened in the America East where it rained a ton and they wind up canceling the games. Uh, I don't think the full situation has come to light out there yet exactly, but New Jersey Tech declared winners and uh, they are going to uh, to the NCAA tournament for the first time in their first year in the America East. Um, Ryder 
uh, upsets Fairfield. They go to uh, to the NCAA tournament for the first time in a decade. Uh, and they're going to, right now, I feel like that story is getting a little buried underneath the, like, is Fairfield deserving? Is, are they not deserving? Like, what about the Stags? Like, Ryder's a pretty good team in their own right. And uh, they went out and, and, and they got it done in Fairfield. Yeah, it does feel like uh, there are a lot of those little stories around. It, it, I'm glad you brought them up because there are like a lot of little stories here and there. First time teams, you know, it's been a while since it happened in a few weeks, but, you know, we talk about Norfolk State being a first time entrant into the NCAA tournament. And so it does, there, there are little stories here and there of, of, of teams that have never been there or haven't been there in a while or, or what have you that, um, that are kind of cool. And, and it's easy to lose sight. And I think you and I do a pretty good job, but I think just generally it's easy to lose sight of, we get very wrapped up in, um, you know, who's going to win regionals and the super regional matchups. And then we're always looking ahead to Omaha, but for a lot of these teams getting to this point is the destination. And so, you know, it's part of what makes conference tournament week so fun. It's part of why I love it. Um, so those stories are, are worth celebrating, um, are worth celebrating as well. And, and some of them are just like, you know, the Presbyterian one is just, I mean, there are some, like we knew in the Metro Atlantic, you know, if it wasn't going to be Fairfield, like it could be any of these teams, right. You know, they're just so, you know, evenly distributed and those teams know each other so well because the geography of that league is so condensed that it's all the same kids who grew up playing against each other in the Northeast. And, um, but, you know, Presbyterian winning the big South is something I have to admit had never once crossed my mind. Like it was just, yep. and, and until it was it, just a 14 tournament, so it should have, but no. <laughs> yeah. And like, until they did it, I don't think I had even given a second thought to like, I noticed that Campbell and USCF state had lost opening games. So I noticed that. And then I probably did not notice another thing that happened to the Big South until Presbyterian won the auto bid. Like it, it was just one of those things that was, I scrolled on Twitter, saw it and was just flabbergasted by it. And of course, happy, happy for those kids, you know, um, but man, just uh, something I had not given any thought to beforehand. Yeah. I watched some of the Campbell elimination game at some point. Cause you know, I was kind of trying to track like, is Campbell going to get in on the bubble or, or what's, what's the deal here? And, but yeah, I, Presbyterian, I, I just kind of assumed that Campbell was going to figure it out somehow. And it's, it's not how it went down. So good for the Blue Hose, uh, good for, for, for the program. And they, uh, they went out and they got it done. That, that conference has been very interesting since Coastal left. Um, it's been pretty wide open. Campbell's been done a good job at like kind of trying to become the, the class of the conference. They've won the regular season now three or four times in a row, but the, there's still a lot of openness to that conference. Uh, Campbell has not completely become a behemoth yet. So uh, congratulations to Presbyterian. Uh, all right, Joe, on Friday, a bombshell um, news announcement happened in Baton Rouge. Paul Maneri retired. He is the winningest active coach in college baseball. He is still active because he is coaching in the tournament, um, but he will retire at the end of this season. He has uh, like he has more than 1,500 wins. He won a national title. He built a Notre Dame into, uh, into a power in the Big East before taking over at LSU and returning the Tigers to, to national prominence. Um, I mean, you can say a lot about pulmonary, but I mean, at the end of the day, it's just, he's had an incredible career. Uh, just one of the, one of the greats in college baseball and, and he will step away at the end of this season. Yeah. And there's, there's a lot of focus on 
rightfully so what he did at LSU highlighted by the national title in 09. But you know, when I put together the job profile, I, I tried to highlight a little bit that you know, this is this is a long um, distinguished career. You know, it, it obviously starts at division two level at um, St. Thomas, you know, and, and being the son of Demi Maneri. And that, so there's a lot of history there in South Florida, but he, you know, he goes to air force and he leaves that, that position as the second winningest coach in program history has recently been passed by his former player at air force, Mike Kozlowski. Um, so, you know, he had, you know, in, in the history of air force, which has not had a ton of success, like he was one of the more successful coaches there. And then he goes to Notre Dame and for a brief period, he's got Notre Dame really cooking as a, as a national power. Uh, that was really the last time until this year where Notre Dame has been nationally relevant like that. And then he goes to LSU and, you know, it's worth remembering, um, you know, that was a time where there was a lot of, of hand-wringing about LSU's place. You know, Skip Bertman had retired and Smoke Laval took over and it just, it, it, it sagged a little bit under Smoke Laval. And so Maneri came in and, and, you know, year two, year one was rough. Year two, he's back in Omaha, year three national title. Um, and that's exactly what, what they were looking for there. So obviously there was LSU, uh, fan base is always going to be a little bit, um, itchy because, you know, they're, they're the biggest brand in college baseball and the expectations there are as high as any, as that of any program in the country. Um, but I, I don't think you can look at his time there in Baton Rouge as anything but an unmitigated success when you consider what they were looking to get from him when he, when he first came in and really in the abstract, when you, especially when you consider how different college baseball is now uh, versus the college baseball that it existed at a, in a different era of LSU baseball. Yeah. I mean, I, I say all the time, like the nineties aren't coming back. Uh, and Oh, by the way, like Skip Bertman wouldn't have done what he did in the nineties and the 2010s, like, sorry, um, <laughs> the sport has changed. I'm not trying to take away anything from what LSU accomplished during that time, but it's just a different time in college baseball. Uh, that being said, though, uh, you know, he, he established, you know, the program's place in the sport, and it's always going to be a challenge to to get there. And, you know, Paul Maneri never shied from that. It was, you know, he, he very much understood that year over year, the expectation started with going to Omaha and really most years was like, okay, but like, are you going to win in Omaha? Um, like, yeah, we'll be there. But like, what about, what about winning it this year? And it's a, it's a tough thing to do to, to be in that kind of job. And he, he did a really good job with it ultimately. Um, you know, I know they wish that they'd had another national title or two in there, but uh, to play for one or to play for two, to win one, um, you know, he, he did a very good job in Baton Rouge goes out with more than 1500 wins. Not many coaches in the history of the game can, can say that. I believe there are just seven that won 1500 and uh, he, he went out and he did that. And, you know, it was, this is what he, he dreamed of doing. His father, Demi Maneri was, uh, you know, a, a college baseball coach at Miami Dade junior college, won a thousand games, national title, um, you know, it, a, a great in his own right and uh you know so paul grew up wanting to wanting to be like his father and you know he uh he lived out his dream you know winning a national title and coaching at some of the the biggest places that you can coach at in in college athletics so uh congratulations to to him and, and happy trails uh we'll see what lsu can do now with his last uh, last go round in the NCAA tournament, they are going to be in Oregon 
not an easy draw for the Tigers, but we'll uh, we'll see. Now it's interesting that like LSU hasn't hosted just twice in like the last five years or something, and now both times they've they've gone to Oregon, uh, Oregon State last time, and, and now Eugene uh, this year. So just uh, apparently, if LSU is not going to host, the committee just wants to send them out to Oregon. Uh, but we'll uh, we'll see we'll see where they go from here. Just uh, again, an, an incredible career for Paul Maneri. And you know, we'll, we'll talk a lot in the weeks to come about where LSU goes next, a lot of different names they can chase after. They're going to chase the best in the sport, though, um, and they should. They, they have the job profile to do it. They've got, they've got everything you would want to win there, really. And so now it's just going to be a matter of who they can uh, reel in from, from that list. But uh, Scott Woodard, their, their AD, um, already made one very splashy hire this spring, hiring Kim Mulkey away from Baylor, uh, three-time national champion women's basketball coach. Uh, so that he, he, he did that. And then it, when he was at AM, he hired Jimbo Fisher, uh, who had won the national title in football at Florida state, gave him a 10 year, $75 million contract to do it. Um, pulmonary's replacement's not going to get that kind of contract but it, it is going to be a similar situation where they're really going to be able to open up the checkbook i think and uh you know go after some of these these top names and it will be interesting to see where that goes again this is one of the absolute premium jobs in the country and um there's going to be a lot of interest in in being the next coach at lsu yeah there are a lot of i guess i'll put it this way there are a lot of jobs where you you hear names associated with it and you kind of go like, uh, you know, I don't know. That's, that seems like dreaming or seems like, you know, something that's not realistic, but LSU is one of the very few jobs in college baseball where they don't really have to settle for candidates necessarily. There will be names you hear associated with this or may have already heard where you go, I can't believe he'd be interested or like, why would he, you know, and that's because it's LSU. LSU is one of the few places where they can truly just think of which people they would want to be leading this program and can reasonably reach out to those people and not expect to have the other side hang up the phone quickly. You know, everybody has to listen to LSU. And so they are going to be able to throw their weight around a little bit this off season. And there's another job in the, in the market now with Texas A&M that probably feels similarly about itself and has a lot of reasons to, and I think it's going to make for an interesting off season. I should also note here that Mike Sansing, a longtime Kennesaw state coach, he's been there for 30 years. He is retiring. He announced that today, Selection Monday. Um, he is the sixth winningest coach, active, sixth winningest active coach. Done an incredible job at Kennesaw State. Led them from NAIA Division II to Division I. One big at all of those levels. NAIA national champion, Division II national champion. Uh, took, the, took the Owls to a super regional in Division I. I know that's not a national championship, but uh, considering that they're coming out of the A-Sun, that's, uh, that's pretty significant. So, uh, again, happy trails to, to Mike Sanson. And, 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 Joe, I'm sure you have some recollections of that Super Regional team. What do you got on Kennesaw State 2014? Yeah, I, I do remember well, actually. You know, it was, a, it was a team that I seem to remember when they got to the Super, like it just seemed to run out of steam or run out of gas, just got overmatched. But they, they won, um, won a regional, I believe it was in Tuscaloosa. I think they were playing uh, Alabama and um, 
one of Mitch Gaspard's last teams, maybe his his very last team. No, no he uh, sixteen is his last. Yeah, so one of one of his last like really good teams there there at Alabama. They 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 got through that regional, uh, is my recollection of it. Anyway, I hope I'm not wrong on that, but but I do I do remember that was also a year that was an interesting year in, in super regionals because uh, Char- College of Charleston got through. Monty Lee, the head coach there, they took on Texas Tech, which at the time was not the Texas Tech that we know it to be now. At the time, that was novel, Texas Tech being in Super Regionals. And you're not going to believe it, but they won two games against College of Charleston, one to nothing somehow in Lubbock. So, um, yeah, they, they were part of that just kind of weird 2014 Super Regional round was, was Kennesaw State. And, you know, unfortunately, didn't really, you know, that wasn't didn't service any sort of real springboard for Kennesaw State. Like, you know, maybe they were, Hoping it yeah, would. we ranked them in 15 very highly in the preseason. Uh, I wasn't actually like I arrived at Baseball America in the middle of that season. I wasn't part of that, but so I don't know fully what went wrong for Kennesaw State in 15. But yeah, they were ranked highly, didn't quite come together. And then in 16, they did win the ASUN uh, regular season title. Yeah, so that, it's, it's been a very nice program and a very nice run for Mike Sansing, obviously. But they've always been right there in the mix in, in the ASUN. And just that, that 2014 Super was not... Uh, was not a, a trampoline moment for for Kennesaw State in the, in the way they probably had hoped that it that it would be. So they won the Tallahassee regional that Tallahassee, year, but they okay. did beat Alabama. To- okay. So I, I had like half my facts right there. You are correct. Yes. Okay, I'll take it. Uh, all right, so we will see uh, what what kind of Cinderella runs we can get this year. Uh, there is, of course, the chance that there are several of them or none of them or whatever. But in this year with uh, some of these older teams, you know, we talked about McNeese, uh, Louisiana Tech definitely has the the experience on, on their side as well. Um, you know, maybe somebody can make uh, some sort of Cinderella run and, and, and we can uh, we can we can get another 2014 Kennesaw State in this tournament. But we will. We will be back here on the next edition of the Baseball America College Podcast, breaking down the tournament, looking for some of those sleepers, looking for uh, you know who's who's going to win the, these regionals, which start this weekend. Uh, we'll also be previewing those regionals over on the website baseballamerica.com. So look for those there to come throughout the week. You can follow us on Twitter. I'm at Ted Cahill. Joe is at Joe Healy B A. Thank you all for listening to the podcast. Thank you to Rapsodo for presenting this and every edition of the Baseball America College Podcast. For Joe, I'm Teddy. We'll talk to you next time. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.